I hope you brought your thinking caps this morning because this is going to be one of those messages. But I'm going to try and make it also very practical, very life-giving. Um, I'm excited about it. I think it's powerful revelation. So as we pray, please agree with me that the Holy Spirit will help anoint me so that I can... Uh, you, know, you know, they say a, uh, a good teacher makes the complex simple and a bad teacher makes the simple complex. <laughs> And I'm afraid I find myself in the second category more often than I care to be. So pray that the Lord will help me, okay? So let's just pray. Let's open up our, our, our lives and our hearts right now and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. We honor you and welcome you, Holy Spirit. We acknowledge you as our teacher and our guide. We thank you for supernatural empowerment to lead us and guide us into all truth. I pray, Father, especially over this message, that the breath of God would come upon me, that you would make me your mouthpiece to bring forth light and illumination and revelation that will be powerful, that will be life-changing. And I ask you to empower us and anoint our ears to hear, anoint our eyes to see, and anoint our hearts to understand. We acknowledge your ministry in our life as the spirit of truth, as the one that teaches us all things and leads us and guides us into all truth. And we give you thanks for it. We receive it by faith today in Jesus' name. And if you can believe that, saints, just say amen. Amen. Take your seats. Fasten your seatbelts. Put on your thinking caps. We started a series, I'm going to back up, on uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. And... I made it uh, clear in my last message that when you start talking about Melchizedek and the order of Melchizedek, that you are dealing with the meat. So therefore, like I said, you're going to have to think with me, but I think uh, if, if, if you just won't get lost in some of the things I'm doing and, and get the essence of what I'm saying, I think it'll be very powerful for you. So let's start in Hebrews 7. It says this, Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem, which means king of peace. So in the scripture, his name was Melchizedek, and that means king of righteousness. And he was called the king of Salem or the king of Shalom. King of peace, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, that's important, without father or mother, without genealogy, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. Right? Uh, let's see. Yeah, let's not do that then. All right, so first thing I want you to get about what they're saying in Hebrews is they're referring to Jesus in a priestly order that is not after the natural order of Levi. Everybody just say with me, order. So Melchizedek is an order of priests. It's not just a person. It is an order, and an order implies a series Or more than one. Simple way to understand it, he's comparing it to the order of Levi. So Levi was a person. He was one of the sons of, uh, uh, who's the patriarch? (laughs) Jacob. He's one of the sons of Jacob, right? His name was Levi, and the priesthood came out of him. And so there was a series of 
priests, and so it was a title, not a person. So when we're talking about the order of Melchizedek, we're not talking about one person. We're talking about a series or an order. And Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus and Melchizedek are not the same person. The Bible nowhere teaches that. In fact, where we just read it, it says contrary to that. It says that he resembles the Son of God. does not say he is the Son of God. That's just a leap that somebody made somewhere. Uh, got it? And then for other people, they'd say, uh, and particularly in Jewish streams, then Melchizedek is Shem, the son of Noah. Remember that? Go back, Noah, the one of Noah's sons? Shem. And so according to Jewish tradition, then Shem became Melchizedek. But according to the Christian scriptures, and according to the book of Hebrews, he's with, he specifically says, why does he say this? Because he's making a point. He's without father, he's without mother, he's without beginning of days, he's without genealogy, right? And that's very important because how important, I was talking to somebody during the break and they were talking about how they start reading the Bible, they get into Genesis and the very next thing that happens, they get into what? The begats. This person begat, this person begat, this person begat, this person. They get into the genealogies. So genealogies were a big deal in the Old Testament, but Melchizedek shows up without a genealogy and this is why that's important. He has nothing to link him, listen to me carefully, He has nothing to link him to the generation of Adam. He has nothing to link him to the fall. He has nothing to link him to death. That's the point. So Melchizedek shows up from somewhere else, but he's not part of the race of Adam. That's the point they're making in Hebrews. Jesus is part of the race of Adam. Because we have his genealogies in Matthew and in Luke. So he is the, he is the Adam that then comes in the order of Melchizedek. Got it? Now, here's the thing. I want you to see, he gives him a tenth. Abraham gives him a tenth of the plunder. And without a doubt, the lesser Abraham is blessed by the Greater. So here's the picture I want you to see of Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes from somewhere. We don't know where, but he does not come from, he's not a human being that comes from the line of Adam. It's quite possible he was the high priest of heaven or whatever. Who knows? Doesn't matter. It's a mystery. The Bible doesn't say, but it's very important that you understand he's of a generation that does not link to Adam. Therefore, he's greater than Abraham, and his blessing does something to Abraham after he gives him the tenth or the tithe. The whole point was that Abraham, in order to become who he was, in order to step into his greatness, had to be blessed by someone greater, and that someone greater was Melchizedek. Now... Here's the point I'm going to make. I'm going to give you the mystery right up front. All right, back up. I'm going to give it to you right up front because I don't want you to get lost in the details. I don't usually do this. Usually I take you and then kind of culminate. So I'm going to tell you the, I'm going to give you the last chapter at the beginning because I want you to have this in your mind as we go through this. Abraham meeting with Melchizedek is all about the rejoining of heaven and earth that somehow became separated and fractured in the fall. It's all about God's blessing being given to humanity in order to regenerate us or think new birth or born from above or born again. 
So it's all about God's blessing. That's what's in the blessing of Melchizedek. That's why he's not of the generation of Adam, and that's why it's important. So it's all about the rejoining of heaven and earth. It's all about God's blessing being given to humanity in order to regenerate us and empower us. Because the word bless, barakah, in the Hebrew, means to empower you, specifically to empower you to prosper. So it's all about God's blessing being mediated by a priest, because a priest is a mediator between God and man. So God in Genesis chapter 12 tells Abram, because his name has not yet been changed, that I will bless you and you will be a blessing. But God doesn't just bless him from heaven. He causes him to meet a priest who then mediates the blessing that God promised to Abraham from God to Abraham through the mediation of this priest who is Melchizedek. Got it? So it's all about God's blessing being given to humanity in order to regenerate us and empower us to reach our full potential as sons and daughters of God. And here's the point. See, when you understand everything Paul argues hinges on the Melchizedek priesthood, everything from Romans, if you go back and read the book of Romans, Romans chapter 4, uh, Romans chapter 3, all, all this stuff about it's, it's by grace and through faith and not by the law and justification by faith and all of that hinges upon Melchizedek. That the blessing, he says, Christ has redeemed us in Galatians from the curse of the law, that the blessing of Abraham might be given to us who believe. What blessing comes from Melchizedek? Just stay with me. You'll, you'll get it by the time we're done. So it, it empowers us. So it is totally given by grace and received by faith. But here's the thing that Abraham does do. He gives a tenth of everything. Now, he gives a tenth of everything it said there, right? When you break it down in the original language, here's what it says. He gave a tenth from the one representing the all. You know, I have to be honest. Every message I've ever heard that mentions Melchizedek priesthood wants to get into your pocketbook. <laughs> because it's there that it talks about tithing. And there have been whole people that have abused the truth and said they're, you know, they're an apostle or they're whatever, and they're after the order of Melchizedek, and so therefore you've got to send your tithes to them so that you can receive blessing. And that's not even what this is about. He gave a tenth from the one representing the all. Now, I do believe in tithing, so let me just mention it and get it out of the way. This is what tithing is supposed to be. People say, well, I don't believe in tithing because everything I have is God's. Well, not if you're not tithing. Because the the point of the tithe is he gave a tenth from the one representing the all. So if you really believe, so so literally what's happening is when you tithe, you're following this principle. It's a principle, right, that applies in many different areas of life. It does apply financially that when you bring a tithe and you give it, basically that tithe then represents everything. So God blesses the tithe, he blesses the whole. So what would happen is, in the Old Covenant, you would bring your tithe, you would present it to the priest, and the priest would speak a blessing over the tithe, and when the tithe was blessed, the land was blessed. Because the tenth was from the one representing the all. You see it? 
Now, don't get nervous about the financial part. That's you got to figure that out on your own. That's not the point of my message. I'm using it to illustrate a principle that's going to come into play that is spiritual in just a minute. Everybody, everybody tracking with me so far? All right, let's look at this from Genesis 14. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He is priest of God Most High. The, the title there is important. He doesn't say he's priest of Yahweh. He doesn't say he's priest of Elohim. He says he's priest of God Most High, or the Most High God. Or he's, he's a priest coming from the highest place. Not of this world. Priest of God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram, everybody say Abram, gave him a tenth of everything. Right? Now, <clears throat> let's, we're gonna, we're gonna unveil, that's, that's about it. That's about, there's one other place in the Bible, Psalm 110, where Melchizedek is mentioned. That's it. And Hebrews brings it all together. But there's powerful mystery in there. So how do you get to the mysteries? See, you gotta understand, there's more embedded in the scriptures than just the story. And I, I said this in the first service, but I'm gonna say it again here. If you get lost in the literal historical story, that, according to Jewish mystics, is the veil that prevents you from seeing the mystery that's behind the veil. So what we're going to do this morning is explore mysteries, or the mystery of Melchizedek unveiled, right? So Proverbs 25.2 says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Now, here's the thing about the Melchizedek priesthood. It is both a kingly line and a priestly line. See, in Israel, they were separate. The kingly line came out of Judah, so you had to be born of the generation of Judah, and the priestly line came out of Levi, so the two could never... It was, it was kind of God's way of checks and balances, if you will. <laughs> like, you have different branches of government. Does that make sense? So you could never have a person who was a king and a priest. But the order of Melchizedek brings those two together, because he's king of righteousness, king of peace, priest of God Most High. So if you and I come under the covering of Jesus, who is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek, and we are a kingdom of priests, then we also are serving in the order of Melchizedek. So therefore, we are also come under an order that makes us kings and priests. So it makes sense then to find and discover the mysteries of the order of Melchizedek, that it would be hidden to the glory of God, and it's to your glory as a part of that order to search it out. So all of you, anybody that's listening to me, is called into this order. If you weren't, I wouldn't be talking about it. And then it's your choice whether or not you want to submit and surrender to that. Paul said this way, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7, No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began i think we just need to pause and pray right there just isn't that an incredible thought if you could accept that and believe that is there anything more incredible than that anything more worthwhile anything more powerful anything more awesome in this world than that thought right there so we have to ask ourselves how do we (laughs) break down this mystery that's been hidden paul is saying this paul is a He's not just a Jew, he's a Jewish scholar. He's a Jewish mystic. Right? 
And so what the Jewish mystics said from the time of Babylon was that there are secrets to be decoded in the scriptures using the Hebrew alphabet. And what they, and, and so when you, you gotta understand about the Hebrew alphabet and the way they look at it, it is a secret code of letters, numbers, and word pictures. Everybody say letters, numbers, word pictures. How many of you like to watch the Super Bowl? What is, what, what is, what is, what's it gonna be? This one, 53? Is that right? <laughs> How do you do that? Like, I lost track. Like, I remember when the Broncos, I'm a Bronco fan. You remember when Broncos won first Super Bowl they won? Who knows what Super Bowl that was? Come on, Bronco fans. 32, thank you. And so, but they didn't write a three and a two, did they? What'd they use? Roman numerals, which are what? Letters. X, 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 I, I, right? You get into the 50s, now you're into the L's, right? So you look at it, you see letters, but they're also what? Numbers. So you have to understand that in the ancient Hebrew language, their letters were their numbers. So it, you could be looking at a book that you read, letters, or you could be looking at a ledger of numbers. See, please understand, if, if, if you were doing bookkeeping, like if Julie printed off a list of, you know, all the money that we spent and all that stuff, and it was just numbers in a spreadsheet, and I open it up and look at it, I'm seeing words. But I'm also seeing numbers. Are you breathing? But here's the other thing. Each letter is a picture. It's a hieroglyph. So when a Hebrew person who knows the language and knows how to read it looks at the Hebrew, they see the codes that we can't see. They see the letters, they see the numerical codes, and they see the word pictures all at the same time. So that for them, the scripture can be read like we read it, or it can be read numerically, or it can be read as a picture story. And there's meaning to all of it. And so what they would call it is the 70 faces of Scripture. See, that's our problem as evangelicals. We're locked into one literal interpretation, and this is what the text means, and that's it. But when a Jewish person reads and studies the text, they say it has 70 faces. And 70 is just a symbolic number of a never-ending unfolding of the fullness of what's there. Are you breathing? So this is where, put your thinking caps on with me, if, if you get lost in some of the details. But this is amazing. I can't wait to show you this. So Melchizedek, the first part of Melchizedek's name, I'm just, I'm not writing the Hebrew letters because it won't mean anything to you unless you speak Hebrew anyway. The first one is a mem, that's a Hebrew letter, and it equals the number 40. The second one is Lamed, which is a Hebrew letter, and it equals the number 30. The next one is Kaf, equals the number 20. The next one is Yod, equals the number 10. What are you noticing? What are you noticing right off the bat? It's a progressive descent of tens. Now, ten is an important number, and I can't remember if I got this later on in the slides or not. Um, I forgot my notes at home, but <laughs> so I'm doing this from memory. So ten is an important number, right? Ten commandments, right? Um, so 10 is, is the binary number. 
Here's what 10 represents. 10 represents a new beginning. Because watch this. You go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. Then you start over with 10. Right? So 10 is a new beginning. 10 is going to the next level. But here's the other thing about 10. It has the 0 and the 1. It has the no thing and the thing. Everybody say the no thing and the one. You start with just the one when you count. When you get to ten, now you have the no thing and the one. So it's a binary principle. It is a principle of creation. It's a principle of what's coming into and being manifested into the world. Because zero is the no thing and the one is the one that comes out of the zero. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So what was before the heavens and the earth? No thing. Because God is not a thing. God is not nothing, but He is no thing. Otherwise, He'd be created. So the zero represents eternity. Because it's a circle, it represents God, and one represents that which is coming out of God. Or you could say it this way, ten is the event horizon of the potential of what's coming out of God that wants to be manifested in the world. So you're seeing series series of ten to show you something about this Melchizedek priesthood that is about manifesting something in this world. And that it is a descending priesthood. It's, it's, he's priest of God Most High. So 40, anybody know what 40 is in the Bible? 40 is a number for a generation. Remember, Melchizedek is what? No genealogy. Without father, without mother, but his name begins with the number of a generation. That comes from on high. Regeneration. That comes from on high and descends in sequences of tens. Got it? (laughs) Watch this. The next part is Sade. Everybody say Sade. And it is 90. But here's the other thing about the way that Jewish numerology looks. That they don't look zero because it's zero does not carry a vibration. It amplifies the vibration of the number that it's with. So they don't see the zero. Because it's the number, it's the vibration of the number brought into the no thing. Or brought into God to amplify it. So it actually goes 40, 30, 20, 10, 9. How long does a mama... Carry a baby. Generation is all about. So you have Melchizedek starting at a generation and going 30 in sequences of 10. 30. Watch the descent. 30, 20, 10. Meets Abraham. 9. See it? 9 is actually, 9 is the end of a cycle or 9 is... Nine is two opposites coming together to complete a cycle. 
One, two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Completion of the cycle. Ten, it starts over at another level. So nine is the end or the completion of a cycle, which is why it's two offices coming together to create a process that completes a cycle, which is why you carry a baby for nine months in your womb. Because you're bringing the male polarity and the female polarity together to begin a process that takes nine months to complete. It's also why Jesus was, <laughs> why Jesus died on the ninth hour. Because he was the end of the law and introducing the new ten. It's all in there. See it? Four, Dalets, we'll get to later, and Kuf is 100. Now, I don't remember if I put this in the slide or not, but in, in, in Jewish uh, numerology, they would take the number of a name and they would add it together to break it down to its primary number. And those primary numbers all have meanings. So I think he had it up. <laughs> I can't remember. It's like 294 or something like that. I can't remember what it is exactly. 394, I think. But anyway, when you break it down to its primary number, you get a six. Now that's significant because who was created on the sixth day? Adam. But Melchizedek's not of Adam's race. So... <laughs> And six is the number of a man. So what you begin to see just in the numerology is that Melchizedek is of a different generation. He descends into the earth to release a blessing that will take nine months to manifest. (laughs) And then we'll get into the four and the hundred in a minute. But then ultimately to undo what was done in Adam and bring forth the new six or the new man or the new creation. Have I lost you yet? All right, let's look at the word pictures. Mem. Mem is water. Everybody say water. Or on a deeper level, it's consciousness because water was the first mirror. So to a Jewish person, it's water. That's the picture. It's a picture of water. When they make the letter, they see water. Are you tracking with me? But to them, it also represents a level of consciousness. Lamed is a shepherd's rod or a hook, and it means joining together. Right? Everybody say joining together. But Lamed is also in the center of the alphabet, so the Jewish people call it the heart of the alphabet, and it's also the word for the heart. So it's a joining together, but it's a joining together of the heart. Kaf is an open palm or something that is receptive. And on a deeper level, the mystical rabbis would say that it speaks to our spiritual potentials. Yod, Yod is the first letter in the name of God, Yahweh, Yod, He, Vav, He. It's the smallest letter, and it is the creative principle. They say it represents a seed, because if you make it, it kind of looks like a seed. It's the initial masculine creative principle. Got it? Zade is a fish hook. Think fishers of men. Jesus went and called fishers of men because he's after the order of Melchizedek. All right, or it's or the hook, the fish hook. It's that to 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 the to the rabbis. It's that which joins heaven and earth. Dalet is an open door, and Kuf is the sun on the horizon, or that which comes into the physical world. So if you go back to the numerology with me for a minute, 40, generation, 
30, 20, 10, 9. Now you have a new creation, new birth. 4 is the doorway. And Kuf is 100, but it's also the 1. Because they don't see the zeros. So it's bringing us all back to the 1. But it's also that which is coming into the world. Are you breathing? All right, so if you take all this and you put it together, here's what I came up with. The water above us, the water above us, because remember, in the Genesis account, God separates the waters above from the waters beneath, or it's consciousness, right? So the waters above us, or we could say the higher consciousness, or we could say the mind of God, descending, watch, 40, 30, 20, because the mem is the 40, 30, 20, 10, 9. See it? The waters above us descending and binding in our hearts. Because remember, Lamed is that which joins together and it also represents the heart. Where there is received, uh, in our hearts, where it is received and it releases our full spiritual potential, joining heaven and earth together and creating a door for the manifestation of heaven upon earth. This is why the Melchizedek order and priesthood is important. See, when the, the, in, in Hebrews they say, Jesus is the high priest whom we confess. When you confess Jesus, the high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, what happens is the waters above you begin to descend into your heart, or the higher consciousness or the mind of God begins to descend into your heart where it can be received and release your full spiritual potential. Thus, you become that hook that brings heaven and earth together and you become the doorway where that which is from another world is able to be manifested on the new horizon of our time and space because kof the word picture is the sun coming up or a new day are y'all breathing or you you're just going to sleep on me i'm not sure That's what Melchizedek is all about. Now let's look at Abram, because he meets Abram. Abram's name is made up of the Aleph, which is an ox. I didn't do the numerology. I spared it. I spared you. The Aleph, which is an ox. Beth, which is a house or a family. Resh, which is the head or the beginning. And mem again, see all the mems, which is water or consciousness. So what's an ox? What does an ox do? Especially ancient people, what did the ox do? The ox treads out the corn. The ox breaks up the ground. Without the ox, there is no fruitfulness. Right? So watch this. Watch how the Bible does this. Adam. Aleph, Dalet, Mem. So what was Adam's job? Adam, what was Adam's job? To till the ground, to work the garden, right? There's the ox. He was the doorway between heaven and earth. There's the door. And ma'am, he was to let the water from above flow, or the consciousness. He was to maintain the higher consciousness or the consciousness of God, which is why when they ate at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they fell into a lower consciousness of judgment and lost access to the tree of life. You see it? 
So when God starts over, he starts over with who? Abram. Adam? Abram. The ox, the family, or the house, or the family, Resh, that he becomes the head of, that lets the waters in. Amen. You see it? Yes. So Melchizedek meets Abram. Now, here's, here's the point with Abram. Here's what we miss. God tells him in Genesis 12. I'll do this quickly for you. God tells him in Genesis 12. I will bless you. And he tells him in the Bible, in you (coughs) and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God blesses Adam. Adam falls. Then there is what? A curse. So God wants to restore the blessing to humanity, so he sets apart Abram, Abram, and says, I'm going to put a blessing in you that will be for all the families of the earth. Yeah. Now, saints, who mediates the blessing? Melchizedek. So Melchizedek is from a different generation. He's got father, neither father nor mother, nor beginning of days, nor end of life. Right? And he meets Abram, but when he meets Abram, he's not, he's meeting the representative of all of humanity. Or the tenth, because remember ten is the, now let's go back to the tithe. What is ten? It's the binary principle that takes things to the next level. So Abram, watch this, 40, 30, 20, 10, 9, but it's 90, still a multiple of 10, descending. And what does Abram do? He gives him the 10. The 10 of the one representing actually the diversity of the all. So that what Abram does is he surrenders to Melchizedek his 10. And in that moment, it was as though all of humanity performed the same act. And when does Melchizedek, you have to go back and read the story. Man, I feel such an anointing. You guys, some of you are looking at me like you're just dead. I don't get it. Maybe you're just processing. Maybe you're a little bit of overload. But watch this. Melchizedek meets Abram after the slaughter of the kings, it said back in Hebrew. After the slaughter of the kings. These were the kings of where? The kings of Sodom. Right? They were the kings. Or it represents human authority. It, it Really, it represents the one without the zero. It represents the I will of Lucifer. I will exalt myself above the most high i will exalt my throne above the stars it's the one without the zero it's the ego it's the self in separation it's the lower mind so what you're seeing in the story is abram slaughtering the kings 
giving up the ego. Then the plunder is, the tenth is the plunder from the slaughter of the kings. So really what the tenth represents is the surrender of the lower consciousness, the surrender of the lower mem. Abram taking the mem at the end of his name and surrendering it up so that he can receive the waters from above to descend upon him, to be joined into his heart with the higher consciousness in order to become a doorway where he can function in divine potential and in be as a participator in the divine nature, bring forth the new horizon, the new day, heaven upon earth. Manifestation. And it's a picture for us. See, to to be a child of the faith is to be a son or daughter of Abraham. It means that you participate in that same process. It means that you surrender up all that stuff, all that junk that's inside you. All the shame, all the guilt, all the, all the fear, all the anxiety, all the, all the stuff that the, that the lower mind and the self and separation, all the stuff that Adam did. See, when Adam ate the tree of knowledge, he descended into a lower mind that made him afraid of God, afraid of his wife, afraid of himself. He hid himself. He ran from God. He ran from the presence of God. He's full of guilt. He can't take ownership. All that mess. He's blaming his wife. His wife's blaming him. All that mess. So to come back, what has to happen is that the, the tithe, the surrender of the lower mind, the surrender of the principle of what the lower mind can create, the ten. The surrender of the lower mem to receive the water that's coming from above. When you come under the blessing of Melchizedek, when you come into the order of Melchizedek, that's what you begin to operate in. And that's why the Bible calls it the meat. Because it's a totally different order. It's a totally different thing. And it's received by grace through faith. Because remember, when, when Abram meets Melchizedek, it's the last part of Genesis 14. Look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15, After this. Everybody just say with me. Come on. Let's, let's, let's energize a little bit. Say this with me. After this. After what? What's the this? After he met Melchizedek and received the blessing. So what happened? The waters from above do what? Come down, right? After this, watch, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Why? Because now he's participating in a higher consciousness that he wasn't participating in before. It was that blessing that opened up the vision of the higher consciousness so he could meet with God. So Melchizedek doesn't mediate a law to you to govern your behavior. Melchizedek mediates the power of an endless life that invites you into an experience and into a gnosis where you no longer have to believe, but you know because you've experienced it for yourself. Because it's not what somebody's telling you. It's the water from above that's descended into your own heart and you commune with your own heart and you find God in that place. Therefore, Paul says, I pray that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may know what is the height and the width and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond all you can ask or think according to the power that's at work in you. To Him be glory in the church now and through all all generations. Man, I mean, I feel the presence of God. I don't know. (laughs) Somebody come alive in here. (laughs) After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Don't be afraid, Abram. What did Adam do when he hid from the Lord? Why did he hide? Because he was a... 
afraid. And what changed? His vision, his eyes were opened. I am your shield, your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what will you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my state is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is from your own flesh and blood shall be your heir. And he took him outside. He didn't just take him out of his tent, saints. He took him out of the lower consciousness. Because he's focused on what he can see. He's focused on his senses. Just like, what are you going to give me? I'm your exceeding great reward. Oh, really? What are you going to give me? Seeing I go childless. Seeing the servant of this servant over here is going to be the heir. Seeing that I'm past childbearing. Seeing that my wife is past childbearing. I'm stuck in this box. I'm stuck in this limited consciousness. But when he gave the tithes to Melchizedek, he surrendered that. So it was just the act of surrender. He didn't have to get himself out of his box. He just had to surrender his box of his own thinking. And the moment he did that, a blessing comes over him that opens up the waters from above, causes a new mind and a new consciousness and a new idea to penetrate into his box... And God takes him outside. God takes him outside and what does he do? He makes him look at something. But what does he make him look at? Not the sand of the seashore and something from the earth. He makes him look up into the expanse of the heavens from which Melchizedek, priest of the Most High, had descended so that he could see into the heavens and he said, see, this is how your seed's going to be. You're no longer limited by earthly cycles and earthly limitations and age and death because what is what does Melchizedek mediate? What does Melchizedek mediate? The power of an endless life. So how did the deadness of Sarah's womb conceive? It conceived when the power of an endless life came into her through the blessing. He's not just saying your seat's going to be like the stars. So sh- in number. He doesn't say it'll be as numerous as the stars. So see the stars? So shall your seed be. Your seed what? So shall Isaac be. From the heavens, because something had to happen in the DNA of Abram so that Israel could become the womb out of which God incarnate could come. So he had to receive a blessing from someone who was not of that generation to literally tweak his DNA. So what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Watch this now. Abram goes out by night. <laughs> In John chapter 3, see, uh, I'm born again. We say I'm born again. We don't even know what we're talking about. Because in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus when? By night. Since we know that you're a teacher that comes from God, no one would be able to do the signs that you could do unless God was with him. And Jesus says, our Bibles read, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again... You cannot see the kingdom of God. But it literally says in there, and if you have a good footnote in your Bible, it will show you, Jesus did not say unless you're born again. He said unless you are born from 
above, so shall your seed be. Unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, how do I enter into my mother's womb to be born again? Jesus just keeps going. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born of, anybody know? Not spirit. Unless you are born of water. Unless you're born of the mem. Unless you are born of water and the spirit, you cannot go through the doorway, the four, and enter the kingdom. So even when Jesus is talking in John 3 about being born again, he's using Melchizedek language and Melchizedek principles. The water you have to be born of is the higher. It's not the water of baptism. The water of baptism symbolizes that you're being born from above. The higher water, the higher consciousness, the mind of God. So that the new birth is when the mind of God enters into you and so transforms you that you become the doorway through which it can be manifested upon the earth. You become a living epistle. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was credited to him. What king of righteousness, what was in him was transferred into Abram when he believed so that now Isaac could come. And I'll give you one little tidbit to tease you. If you read the sacrifice of Isaac very carefully, even though God, even though Abraham, listen to me very carefully, if you go back and read it very carefully, even though Abraham did not kill his son, his son does not come back with him. <laughs> because an altar is a place of transference from heaven to earth. So he takes him up on the altar and God says, you don't have to kill him to transfer him up here. <laughs> So he doesn't come back with Isaac. It says Abraham came back. Where was Isaac? Isaac got transferred. So the next time you see Isaac is when he needs a bride. When he needs a bride. And the Bible says he came from, it's a Hebrew word there, but it means the eye of God. So in Genesis 22, what In Genesis 22, what happens is Isaac gets transferred on the altar into the heavenly arena. Why? Because the purpose is to carry the the Messiah. And so it's not until he has to get married in order to be fruitful that he comes down from that place in order to be fruitful. Why? So that as in heaven, so on earth, so that what he received in the heavens could be manifested in the earthly, which is why he has two... (laughs) Which is why there are two nations inside of his wife, Jacob and Esau. Jacob representing Melchizedek, Esau representing that which was the flesh, because it had to be that which was of heaven, that which was of Christ, and that which was of Adam, and that which was of the flesh at war inside of her, so that those two things could be separated out, so that the seed line could be purified, so that that which... It's all there. But none of that could have happened if he hadn't spent time in the heavens. Jesus. All right, let's watch this. I'm almost done. Look at this. Romans 14, 17. Paul says this. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of, everybody say it, righteousness, peace, 
and joy where? In the Holy Spirit. Look at this. Melchizedek is king of righteousness. King of Salem is king of peace. And guess what the name Isaac means? Laughter. She got it. Let's come back. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, Melchizedek, and joy. The outcome of Abram, meaning with Melchizedek, which was Isaac, joy. It's all there in a pattern. It's all there in a pattern. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And all of this precedes the law. And all of it is by grace. And all of it is received by faith. And none of it is received by the works of the law. Which is why when Jesus comes after a new priesthood, after the order of Melchizedek, the law has to change. Because if there's a change of priesthood, it says in Hebrews, that of necessity is the change of a law. And he did not come by the ordinance or the law of fleshly commandments being born of Levi, but he comes through the power of an endless life. He comes from something that's above the law and beyond the law. He comes from something that is not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He comes from the place of the tree of life as the priest of God Most High to minister eternal life into a seed so that Messiah could be born, so that then you didn't have to depend on any kind of fleshly birth, you had to depend upon the surrender of the carnal mind to receive the baptism of the higher mind and the higher consciousness to become the seed of Abraham, to become kings and priests after the order of Melchizedek, to become a new creation. All things passed away, all things made new. (laughs) Isn't that great? Can you see it? Let's stand up. Let's give the Lord a shout. Come on. So that, that's what you and I are a part of. Let's, let's just lift our hands. Let's just, I want you to imagine right now just heavens, uh, waters in the heavens above you, the water of heaven. Remember when, when <laughs> in the book of Revelation, John is taken up, he sees the sea of glass, a peaceful sea, <laughs> a sea not at war with itself. And just allow right now, just by faith, just begin to draw down those waters. Come on. You're connected to Jesus. He's the high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Just begin to draw down right now. Just begin to imagine, see, with the power of your intention, just begin to draw down those heavenly waters right now. And see them flowing into your heart, because that's the place of joining. That's why finding your heart is the key to all of this. That's why authentic living is the key to all of this. That's why it can't be legislated. That's why we're not under the law. Because we don't live according to someone else's ordinances, rules and regulations. We live out of our heart. Now I want you to imagine yourself as a doorway. So I want you to see that water flowing now. Just open that door and let that water flow out of you. Bringing about a new day. Whew. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you for shifting things. Thank you for shifting us out of the order of Levi and out of fleshly ordinances into the order of Melchizedek, into the order of the heavenlies, into the order of the stars, into the order of the seed of Abraham into the order of the blessing, empowered to prosper, empowered to receive the mind of God, empowered to commune with you, empowered to negotiate with you over the things of our lives, empowered to mediate 
your life and your presence. Hallelujah. Father, I bless you. Bless your people in Jesus' name.